You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMARQU. Each episode features a unique discussion led by Open Text Public Sector Executive and Global Government Thought Leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. I mean, it's one of the most frequent questions I get asked, like, well, you know, in the SEAL teams, you've got everyone's motivated and everyone's focused and it's a life or death, you know, so they're going to stay sharp and they're going to follow procedure no matter what. And, you know, my, my team's not like that in the business world or, you know, people I work with aren't like that. And the best teams, they only follow that procedure, right? Because they've got leaders that are stepping up and making it happen. And, and look we have some amazing people in the SEAL teams, just like we have some amazing people in the military, um, in Army and Marine units and other, and other special operations units, etc. But even with life or death on the line, people get complacent. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. And while I predominantly bring on guests to discuss certain aspects of government digital transformation, I have from time to time had some folks on to talk about leadership. I think it's incredibly important, whether you're a government or private sector leader driving changes within your organization, to continually sharpen your skills, especially in an environment like we're in today, post-pandemic. And leaders need to manage through this transition. From a government technology perspective, for example, as more repetitive tasks are performed by technology, as it's been enveloped even more so, teams will ultimately focus on more value-generating tasks. It's what's in the presidential management agenda around shifting from a lower value to a higher value work. But the technology can't make decisions and solve problems in the same way as a person. Critical thinking skills are imperative for both teams and leaders. And this technology changes at a fast pace and organizations constantly adopting the cutting edge or bleeding edge just to stay relevant, they're doing so and it's requiring leadership that's agile along with other traits. In my opinion, humility is another one of those really important attributes of a good leader. But there's several others that we're going to discuss in today's episode. And I'm really excited about this conversation. If you didn't recognize our guest voice from the opening, you might recognize the book he co-wrote with another Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink, called Extreme Ownership. His name is Leif Babin. And both Leif and Jocko retired from the U.S. Navy SEALs after serving honorably and have gone on to leave an indelible mark on countless lives with their 2015 book. The number of teams in our industry alone who are utilizing these principles never ceases to amaze me. We often say that our industry is inherently different, but there's a tremendous amount of effort that focuses on common leadership tactics that this book addresses at both a high level and tactically. Along with writing this book, Leif is also the president of Echelon Front, a premier leadership consulting company that helps others build their own high-performance winning teams. Leif, welcome to the show, buddy. Really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me, Brian. Great to be with you. Leif, I know I gave a quick introduction for you, but could you tell my listeners a little bit about what you and Jocko are doing over at Echelon Front and how you're helping private sector organizations as well as government entities accomplish their mission through better leadership. Absolutely. I, we, we take the leadership lessons that we learn on the battlefield, the same leadership lessons that we brought back and taught to the next generation of SEALs in the training programs that, that I ran and Jocko ran 
And, and it's the same thing that we that we teach leaders in, in businesses and in companies and government agencies uh, across America and around the world. And really, you know, when you think about combat leadership, it's people are all often surprised to hear that the hardest part of, of leading a combat mission is not the tactical planning. It's not it's, it's not how to maneuver the team under fire. It's the hardest part of combat leadership is trying to get a diverse group of people with a bunch of different backgrounds and a bunch of different skill sets and a bunch of different teams, a team that has their, their own culture, their own ways of doing things, their own standard operating procedures. It's getting those people working together, mutually supporting one another in order to accomplish a goal. And of course, that applies to uh, any any business, any team, in any arena. Yeah, I think that's something people deal with every single day. Um, so before we dive into more about the book, uh, let's dive a little bit more into your background. And I have a couple questions just for our audience to get to know you a little bit. Uh, I know you attended the Naval Academy. What drove you to join the military and then pursue a, uh, a career in the SEAL teams? It's, it's what I always wanted to do. Uh, and I, I'm one of five siblings, but I'm the only I'm the only one that served in the military. My dad is a veteran. Uh, both my grandparents were, were, were my grandfathers were veterans. Uh, but it's something that I just I always knew that was what was for me. I wanted to be uh, in the military. I wanted to serve and I wanted to be a combat leader. And uh, initially, I, I I didn't know what that would look like. But I, I started learning about the SEAL teams when I was in about junior high school, watching awesome movies like Navy SEALs you know, starring Charlie Sheen. If you remember that one back in nineteen, So realistic, right? <laughs> but uh, one of the greatest movies uh, to quote on, on real operations with just some some good cheese ball lines there that made everybody laugh under fire. But uh, this was that I just I went to the Naval Academy to pursue that dream to be a SEAL. I didn't get selected out of the out of the academy. I was uh, not one of the 15 uh, individuals that were selected to go to the SEAL program. So I went and served on uh, a couple of different surface ships uh, based out of San Diego, got a chance to deploy across the world, was thrown right into some some challenging leadership positions. And then I finally got selected to go into the SEAL program. And, I, and I'm, I'm so thankful that that happened, that I didn't get selected right out of the academy because it gave me, I think it gave me a real, a real detailed appreciation uh, for the, the opportunity to actually be there. You know, and when everybody else was suffering, going through our, our basic training program, we call BUDS, uh, I was able to say, thank thank God I'm here. Thank God I actually have the opportunity to go through this training and be here and be a part of the, the, the SEAL program. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and, and so, you know, when I got to the SEAL teams, it also was an appreciation that I think stuck with me uh, and, and served served uh, well through through some difficult combat operations. I think there's a, there's a lesson there, right? Just uh, being grateful kind of the, for the experiences you're in, what good, bad, or indifferent, because uh, you can learn from them, right? Um, so what's something that you're currently working on? So you're, you're a leadership consultant and it, you go and help organizations work things out. Um, but obviously we're all growing as people. We're all trying to better ourselves. What's something that, that you're working on about yourself right now? Look, the things that we teach, uh, extreme ownership, you know, the laws of combat, uh, cover, move, simple, prioritize, execute, decentralized command. These things, you know, the dichotomy of leadership, trying to find balance. Uh, those are those are we say simple, not easy. This is something that, you know, it, it's easy to it's easy to to read about what they mean. You know, extreme ownership. There's there's no one else to blame. There's 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 uh, there's no excuses. You got to own everything in your world, everything that impacts your mission. And yet that's an extremely hard concept to to implement in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, the things that I'm working on, most, I think probably the biggest struggle I have is with with the 
discipline equals freedom equation, right? This is the Jocko's mantra that he really instilled in me and, and tasking a bruiser, uh, trying to find that balance that you, you've got to be disciplined in the small things and, and work on those things uh, all the time uh, to give you the freedom to, to excel. And so that means that rather than try to cram the night before a test, you know, with all the information, you actually have to take the time, you know, on a daily basis for weeks and weeks and months prior, you know, to, to, to get ready for that exam. If, if you're a college student, it's the same thing for any project or anything that you're working on. So, so for me, it's, it's, it's prioritizing and executing uh, and, and making sure that I'm, I'm disciplined about constantly uh, not getting sucked down the rabbit hole in, into the details of something that I'm constantly uh, shifting my priorities. I'm spending two hours on this thing and then moving on to, to, to this thing here. You know, uh, for, for our business, you know, we, we reach a lot of leaders in a lot of different places. And my focus right now is trying to create a online training program that we have available, build out courses for that. And that's a really important thing, but I can't get so sucked down the rabbit hole on the edits to, you know, a training, uh, a particular training course that, that I lose track of, of bigger strategic things that we got to be focused on as well. So constantly shifting those priorities and being disciplined about that so that we have the freedom to excel over the long run is probably the, the biggest thing that I struggle with, the biggest thing that I'm working on. Uh, and it, it'll be something that I'm probably always working on all the time, you know, trying to find that balance. Yeah, I think just by the nature of discipline, it's just a constant evolution. It's something you're always trying to to make sure you're you're holding down yourself, right? Um, is there is there somebody you consider a mentor um, throughout your career and even now? Yeah, that would be my my business partner and and uh, boss Jocko Willink. So he was uh, when I started working with Jocko in 2005. Uh, he he was he taught me to be the combat leader I needed to be, and then he let me lead my team of 16 SEALs out on the battlefield in the Battle of Ramadi in 2006. And we've worked together, you know, very closely ever since. So, um, and, and Jocko has been, you know, in the military, in the, in the Navy, a mentor is called a sea daddy. That's kind of generally what you <laughs> mentor. Um, and I don't know, Jocko may take offense to that term, but certainly he's been that, that for me. Uh, and somebody that I know that when he gives me some guidance to implement, you know, this is, this is what we, when I help leaders and they say the same thing, that's, I always smile because I say the same thing. I was like, man, this, this stuff really works when he's telling me to try this, try try that to implement the solution to solve a problem through leadership. And so when I when I when I help leaders solve problems through leadership, as well that with the work we do at Echelon Front, and they say those same things to me, um, it, I always get a kick out of that because that's exactly what I say all the time. What about what about any books you're reading right now? Yeah, I'm always reading. Uh, I'm always reading books. I mean, I'm actually going back through the. Uh, the book that Jocko wrote, uh, Leadership Strategy and Tactics, I think it's got some so much direct application. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm on a second read of that now to go back through and, and just take some detailed notes and and, and highlight uh, you know that, that book. And Jocko wrote that as kind of capturing uh, the, the, the tactical implementation of the concepts that we wrote about in extreme ownership and, and dichotomy of leadership for particular challenges. You know, you just got promoted in a position. You've got uh, a conflict with a peer, you know, on your team. Are uh, you just, you, you know, you, you've got a, uh, a problematic boss you don't have a good relationship with, how do you deal with those problems? And uh, there's just so much good, good things in there about how to take and apply the concepts we wrote to a particular challenge. So speaking of books, let's pivot over to yours now. So where did the idea uh, for extreme ownership initially come from? How did you guys figure out that this is something you wanted to bring um, to a, a, a broader audience um, based on those principles that you learned um, in such a uh, such a draconian way? Well, every 
everything that we're teaching is, you know, obviously besides the tactics of how to plan and, and, and execute, uh, everything we're teaching, as I said before, the, the hardest parts of leadership uh, in the military is the same thing that applies to, to anywhere, you know, throughout the business or civilian world or, or, or any organization out there. And, and that's, that's what we're teaching. It's, it's the same things. We didn't use the term extreme ownership. That's something that Jocko was working with a leader as he uh, was, was retiring in, in 2010. He, he retired in October 2010. And he was working with a particular leader and talking about how you know, this leader was frustrated with his team. The team wasn't executing. They weren't getting the job done. And so Jocko was trying to come up with a term to help him understand that like you're the leader. This is all on you. And, and so it was a term that he... He kind of stuck, he came up with it and, and decided to use to really describe what it means. You've got to get extreme with taking ownership for everything that impacts your mission. You're responsible for everything on the team. And so it was a way that that was a descriptive term that could help, you know, this leader apply that. But really, this, this is the same concept that we learned in, in the SEAL teams. The best leaders that, that we worked with were people that weren't casting blame, that weren't making excuses. And and the people that did that, uh, that did cast blame, did make excuses, a lot of those people, they continue to underperform, they continue to fail, and many of them eventually got fired because they, they never actually solved problems. The people who solved problems were people that took ownership of those problems and came up with a solution to implement that, that solution to, to these problems. So, you know, when we got out, uh, I, I left active duty in uh, June of 2011, the next year after Jocko retired. And I started working with companies uh, very, very quickly and realized that they, they needed this stuff, that they, 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 we could help them solve these problems uh, through leadership uh, and how much it, that it applied. And so there was a growing demand signal from the, uh, the business leaders that we worked with who said, hey, is there something that you can write down for us? And we, we created a workbook that, uh, that we could leave with the, with the leaders we were working with. And eventually that materialized into the book, Extreme Ownership. That's awesome. And, and one of my favorite quotes from the book uh, is, it, I mean, honestly, it's, it's the most basic uh, thing coming out of it. But when you're trying to make a decision, stop, look around, make a call. And what's the, what's the genesis of that thought process? Because to me, I've always thought you make the best decision you can with the information you have and you own it and you move on. Is that kind of the idea? That is the idea for, for the, you know, that, that, that term prioritize and execute, which is how teach our leaders to prioritize and execute under fire is relax, look around, make a call. The, the trouble is, is that it, that's really hard to do when you're under a high pressure situation, right? Mm -hmm. With, and particularly on the battlefield, when you have bullets flying around and explosions going off and your forces are split up and you might have wounded uh, teammates that are down in the street and, and, and injured and calling for your help. Uh, it can be really overwhelming, emotionally overwhelming about what's, what's the right call. And even, you know, for, for no matter where you are in a leadership position, whether it's a, a, a government agency or the public sector or a private business, uh, it's, there's still a lot of pressure on leaders to make decisions. I mean, even if lives aren't immediately at stake, certainly livelihoods are at stake and people's careers and jobs and, and, and capital investment, uh, you name it. So that could be, you know, if there's, a, if there's a major project that the whole team is dependent on you to accomplish, there's a lot of pressure on leaders to make decisions. So if, if you get emotional and you don't know even where to start, that's that's a real problem. You try to take on a dozen problems at the same time, you're going to fail. So relax means that you really have to take a breath and calm yourself down because you're not going to make good decisions if you get emotional. Look around is forcing yourself to detach from the details, the micro terrain that we would call it in the military. Down in the weeds, you know, would be the, the simplest mm -hmm. way of describing that. It's really hard to see 
what the strategically important decisions you need to make are if you're down in the details of things. So if you pull yourself out of the details, pull yourself out of the weeds and detach, then you can look around and see, okay, where we need to go. And then you can make the call to get the team moving in the direction that they need to go. So you just gave some examples too, uh, directly from combat, right? You're, you're under fire, there's explosions happening. As you're bringing these type of principles uh, to different companies, do you encounter people that find that what you guys offer is too intense? You know, it's, it, that's a very interesting question, Brian. Uh, I, I think we do encounter that and it generally happens prior to us coming in to speak to a company. And, and or someone getting handed the book, Extreme Ownership, and they say, well, that's not really for me. I don't, you know, I don't like war. That's, that's, that's for people that are, you know, military minded or just like military history books. Mm -hmm. uh, what's been interesting to me is the number of people who have read the book that in, in, in completely uh, different circumstances that you might think would be kind of the, what, what would be the kind of stereotypical audience for someone who reads military history books. This is not a history book. This is a, this is a leadership uh, mm -hmm. reference manual that, that we wrote and, and we use the illustration of of combat but but we very quickly move beyond combat things so when when you know we always say we make our money in q and a q and a so when, when when me or jocko or the rest of our leadership instructors on our team at echelon front are answering questions people are saying okay that how does that apply to me you're talking about a highly trained highly screened group of of seals and everyone's united behind the mission and everyone does what they're told to do and everyone's disciplined. Uh, how does that really apply to me leading a, a team in this particular situation in a much less dynamic environment? Well, the reality is then you have to help them understand that people in the SEAL teams aren't Terminator robots. People in the military aren't Terminator robots. They don't just do what they're told to do because you said so. If, if people are questioning, if they have questions about the mission and whether or not it's worth the risk and they think it might very well get them killed or horribly injured or the people they really care about on their team killed or horribly injured, they're going to push back on that in a big way. I mean, that's the reality of it. So, uh, and they're, you know, even within the military, there's giant silos that happen and people are not united behind the, 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 the flag or the, the mission. Um, different services have different cultures, different ways of doing things. There's some there's some real uh, frictions that develop there. So once you help people kind of understand the realities of, of the leadership lessons that we learn and how it can apply to them, and talking about what you need to do uh, in order to to apply to to your situation, I think those those kind of um, hurdles in people's minds go away. The, the biggest challenge to to uh, to taking the concepts that we talk about and applying it is ego, hundred percent. Your own ego is the biggest challenge because people people don't want to they don't want to take ownership. Our egos don't want us to take ownership. You know, if, if you're on my team and you're not doing something that I need you to do, let's say you failed to accomplish a project on time and you were over budget, you didn't deliver. There were some quality issues with that that project. It's really easy for me because my ego wants to say it's Brian's fault. Brian screwed this up. Brian didn't do what he needs to do. Rather than if I'm the leader. Everything that happens on my team is, is ultimately my fault. So, you know, what, what could I have done better to make sure that you actually accomplish the mission on, on time, under budget, and, and with, you know, the proper quality of delivery? 
I, what I could have, I could have checked in with you, you know, months before, weeks before this project was due. I could have made sure that you had better guidance. I could have made sure that you had better training. I could have made sure that more resources were vectored to you. I could have made sure you understand why this project was so crucial and how, if we didn't get this thing delivered on time or within budget, how it was going to affect everyone else uh, on the team and our overall strategic mission. And, and if I take ownership of those things, we can actually get that problem solved rather than if I just blame you then ultimately th those problems are going to keep happening, keep happening, keep happening uh, until eventually I get fired, you get fired, our team disintegrates, or, you know, the entire team fails, it becomes catastrophic uh, for us to actually address those issues. So I think, I think once you kind of understand the realities and you're willing to subordinate your ego, realize that it is all on you and you can take ownership, that's, that's the step forward to moving beyond, uh, beyond just pointing fingers at Cassie Blame and actually getting a problem solved. What I like there too is, so you're talking about an extreme ownership mindset as the boss being able to own those situations, but then translating that into something you talk about in the book in, in a de default aggressive mindset, there are actions I could have taken um, aggressively to be able to make sure that um, the people on my team are successful. I don't have to sit back and just wait for that to happen. As I've, as I've encountered the book and the idea around a default aggressive mindset, the other thing I've actually found is more organizations, even if they hear default aggressive and it's something that they think, well, that's, a, that's not us, that's a military term. I hear bias for action all the time. And I think it's something that actually is, is woven into the fabric of a lot of really successful organizations is this default aggressive mindset and they don't even realize it. Is this something that, that you're finding as you're working with companies or how valuable of, the, of a mindset is this for companies to truly be successful? Well, if, if you want people to sit back and wait for other people to solve problems for them, uh, that's a disaster. Like, that's a total disaster. And uh, that is, if this, this, the idea, the term aggressive is something that puts some people off, particularly in kind of corporate America. Like, oh, they, they think that we're actually talking about yelling and screaming at people. They have this idea of, of military leadership as this kind of boot camp mentality or something they may have seen in the movies. The reality is that that doesn't work anywhere. Yelling and screaming at people doesn't work anywhere. So, uh, I mean, take Jocko, for instance. If you see a picture of Jocko, he's a big, angry-looking guy. He's a very intimidating, uh, a very intimidating-looking individual. And yet he's, he's I've never even heard him yell or scream. He's never yelled or yelled at me even one time, not even one time in the, you know, in the years and years that we work together now. And I've probably given him hundreds of opportunities to want to yell and scream at, at me. But the reality is uh, that's not good leadership. That's not the leadership at all. So we're talking about being aggressive towards solving problems. And we actually don't really care what the term is, Brian. You know, some companies we've, we have requested that we change that term. We have changed it to default action instead of default aggressive. Default aggressive is a term we use in the military. And the goal was to teach people that if you don't solve problems, the problems are going to get worse. The problems are not going to solve themselves. They're going to grow and they're going to grow and they're going to continue to get worse. So what you need is people who see a problem are able to actually step up, solve the problem, even if it's above their pay grade to solve the problem. They can at least make a recommendation up the chain of command of how to solve that problem, how to get that problem solved. That's what you want for any organization. Otherwise, you got people standing around waiting to be told what to do. And if you think that's the way leadership in the military works, not for the best units. The best units, that, that's a disaster if you have people sitting around waiting to be told what to do. You, you need people who understand the mission and who can aggressively drive out drive out to overcome obstacles and, and, and make things happen and solve problems in order to accomplish that mission and win. Uh, and that's what that term means. 
So let's talk about uh, the other book that you wrote uh, with Jocko, The Dichotomy of Leadership. I personally love this book because I, I tend to fall into the trap of looking at the world in a black and white picture. And one of the things that this book really seeks to highlight is that gray area in between. Yes, you can own situations, but there's the right way and wrong way to own a situation um, it, to, to benefit your organization. Talk a little bit about that gray area and, and kind of what drove you guys to um, to write this book and kind of clear up some of those maybe misconceptions. Look, I think people even hear the title of our first book, Extreme Ownership, and they think, oh, I got to be extreme in everything that I do. And the reality is, is that uh, while you should take extreme ownership as far as responsibility for everything in your world and as far as solving problems and everything that impacts your mission, rarely is is it the extreme you know ever the right call for anything and so what's required balance and finding balance between two opposing forces so this idea of the dichotomy of leadership is a is, is a very powerful thing and i think uh for any leader who's in any situation just the recognition that there is a dichotomy that you have to balance i mean let's take i just talked about the importance of detachment so that you can properly prioritize and actually you have to be able to detach and yet if you're too detached if you don't know what's actually going on in the front lines, if you're too far removed from the challenges that your your frontline troops or your individual contributors are out there encountering, then then you can't actually help them solve problems. You can't provide the resource to them. You don't understand you know, how you can you can actually help them. Maybe you don't understand how you can best convey the mission uh, to them so they can believe in that mission and go out and execute. So you've got to be you have to be detached, but you can't be too detached. We just talked about being default aggressive, aggressive towards solving problems and making things happen. Can you be too aggressive? Absolutely, you can be too aggressive. This is uh, you, you, on the battlefield. I mean, if you didn't mitigate risk that you can control, that that becomes reckless, and you could put your team in situations where you get a bunch of people wounded or killed needlessly. With when you could have actually controlled those risks uh, and managed those risks, uh, and so you've got to do everything you can to uh, to mitigate the risks you can control, and that happens in the business world as well. Obviously, whether you're driving into a a new direction, a new strategy. Or, or, or uh, you're taking on new projects, or you're 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 trying to acquire a greater market share. You know, in in a in a and in, a, in, a, in a, you get too aggressive in that regard. I mean, you, you can get way out above your way beyond your skis on those things, and really cause all kinds of problems for your team uh, and for the mission in that regard. So it's always trying to find those balance uh, th that balance between these two opposing forces. And we wrote the book, Dichotomy of Leadership, in order to help leaders uh, address. Those, uh, those things, because we saw a lot of great leaders who were taking the concepts we wrote about extreme ownership and really trying to apply them and yet struggling because, you know, hey, we said, you got to cover move. You got to go support people and build better relationships. And yet, let's say I was taking that and going and trying to, you know, trying to help you so much that I'm stepping on your toes and creating a bad relationship with you. So you're like, hey, Leif needs to just back off here. You know, he's trying to do my job for me. I'm creating a worse relationship, which now means that I'm, I'm we're not actually able to cover move effectively for each other because I've gotten, I've gone too far in one direction. I need to balance it. So I think it's always about finding that balance. And I think, you know, you pointing out, Brian, that the world is, is gray. Um, there isn't black and white solutions. You're going to encounter stuff that is, uh, you're going to encounter things that, that are, uh, that you hadn't thought about that you couldn't plan for. I mean, the, the, the current environment that we're in now with, with, uh, you know, a worldwide pandemic is, is uh, something that, that, People didn't have contingency plans for it. If, you, if it had said that this was going to happen a year ago uh, or more, most people probably wouldn't have believed that that was the case or they would have dismissed it or not thought, thought through it. So you're going to encounter things 
that you can't plan for. Uh, so there are some things that are black and white. You know, when you're talking about maintaining the moral high ground, when you're talking about doing things that are, you know, that, that are legally right, that are morally right, that are ethically right, obviously that's a black and white thing. Um, but when it comes to, to, to the gray areas where you're not quite sure what the right answer is, uh, you've got you've to gotta try to find that balance between these two opposing forces. And I think that's where the dichotomy of leadership is, uh, is a very powerful concept to understand and apply. Well, and you brought up the pandemic, and I think it's one of the reasons why the dichotomy of leadership was the perfect follow-up to extreme ownership is that the idea of detachment um, and kind of removing emotion from the situation in those moments to make the best decision is important, but the pandemic has really kind of shined a light on the fact that we are human beings. We all have these these personal issues as well, and sometimes you sometimes you need to be emotionally and I guess involved in the situation to be able to actually make the best decision. Um, is, is there something else from this uh, past year? Um, and you mentioned there's no contingency plan, right? Um, is there something from this past year that really surprised you um, from the pandemic and how companies have responded? Because you you have been working with so many of them. You know, I, I think what's what is uh, what's been awesome for us to see, Brian, is how when when you know some companies that we worked with uh, have thrived in this environment and and, and adapted and, and innovated and created these these new ways to be successful and in, in a largely virtual environment or to to continue to to grow and expand their their. Uh, their market share are continuing to be successful and other companies have really struggled. And, you know, regardless, what's been interesting to see is the companies we work with when, when they're in desperate times, what do they do? The, the, the best companies that are continuing to do well, they fall back on the principles that we teach extreme ownership, the laws of combat, you know, the, the economy of leadership and finding the, finding the balance and it's helped them through these times. And, and I think that kind of thing has been, has been really powerful. Uh, to uh, you know, to to for them to think strategically, for them to grow uh, and, and continue to be to do well, and that's that's been awesome to, to see. There are people that want to; they're kind of waiting for you know, they're waiting for everything to go back to normal, you know. And obviously, look, we'd all love that to go back to like this pre-COVID environment. I don't know that 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 may never happen, you know. Obviously, we're going to this with us for a lot longer than anyone thought initially. Uh, certainly, most of us. So uh, I think the, the companies that we see that are just waiting for things to go back to normal, they're struggling. They're, they're having issues. Some of them may shut down and never open their doors again. The ones that are actually uh, innovating, adapting, and implementing these things are, are, are doing well. Taking ownership of problems, figuring out solutions to these problems. I mean, if anything, what I like about, uh, I mean, we had, we had uh, 37 events uh, for Echelon Fraud canceled, these in-person training events within about a, a two-week period. You know, and we, we have these two-day uh, extreme ownership musters where we have as many as eight, 900, 1,000 people you know, show up. We canceled all three of our musters this year. So it was, it was a massive uh, innovation adaptation uh, issue for us. And you know, while those, those, that blow is significant, what was, what was awesome is we were able to reach out to companies uh, and, and, and a clients that we work with and help them through this time, you know, with these, uh, with the principles that we teach and remind them that the principles we learned, we didn't learn these things in a Boy Scout troop. We learned these things in some really difficult, dangerous and ambiguous environments on the battlefield. And that's exactly where this stuff applies. So it's been really rewarding to see that happen. It's been a great leadership challenge for us to try to figure out ways to be able to do this virtually uh, and, and reach a, a lot of leaders in that regard. So I, I think, you know, regardless of, of the hits that we've taken, it's, it's been very rewarding to, to uh, take on these leadership challenges. Uh, and frankly, 
if, if I had to say, that's what I love most about combat leadership, Ryan, is, is it's, it's a, it, it was taking a look at, at an environment like Ramadi in 2006, where the enemy completely controlled, the insurgents controlled these areas, and we're told, don't go there, you're all going to get killed, and figuring out ways that we could take our team and get in there and operate and have an impact on the battlefield, and most of the time bring all of our guys you know, back from operations. So those are the... Uh, those are the the uh, the challenges that it's 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 awesome to take on these leadership challenges, and it's the same thing in this environment. And regardless of how frustrated you may be, you know when you can take the mindset of like this is a challenge, this is a unique challenge. If everybody is struggling in this area about how to attack this particular challenge, let's figure out an innovative way to solve this challenge, uh, and that's going to give us a leg up on the competition, and and we're going to be successful as a result. And look, people want to be a part of a winning team, and so that's the attitude that you should bring in to take ownership of those challenges give ownership to your team at every level so that that uh, your leaders can step up and, and create innovative ways to solve problems and win uh, and, and that's going to lead your team to success and you you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that uh you you had some training um modules you had to build out and you guys all shifted to digital so you guys are literally embodying the the practices that you're telling your team because it's you're not or your your customers because you're not just telling them they need to pivot and working with them but you guys are literally moving the and steering the your own ship at the exact same time um which is incredibly difficult i know at open text we were doing the exact same thing we're trying to pivot in the middle of all this and still working with our customers to help them understand their their digital uh, their digital properties and how to best pivot as well so um we absolutely understand the difficulties there um, and as we wrap up part one, um, th there's a story from the book that I thought was really powerful. In fact, to me, it was the most powerful part of the book. Um, it was the blue on blue scenario during the Battle of Ramadi. Uh, and for those listening, a blue on blue is a friendly fire incident. Can you talk to the audience about that scenario and what lesson you guys learned from that situation that you're that you're bringing to companies now? Yeah, that was a horrible scenario. And I think the biggest lesson that we brought back with us uh, is that leadership is the most important thing on the battlefield, leadership at every level of the team. And then we talk about learning, learning the lessons of humility, ownership, and teamwork. And that humility piece is the biggest thing that I brought back and passed on to the next generation of SEAL leaders. Because if you were to ask young Lieutenant Leif Babin, Charlie Batoon Commander, and Tasking and Bruiser, if we were going to get in a blue on blue scenario, a friendly fire incident while we were on deployment, if you'd asked me that before we deployed to Ramadi, I'd have said, hell no, man, that'll never happen to us. That'll never happen to us. That's for losers who can't plan, who can't execute. That's for people who, that's for teams that just can't, don't have their stuff together. Well, the reality is that happened, that happened all the time. And that having that incident happen to us right away and we had an Iraqi soldier killed uh, and, and one of my guys wounded, thank God it wasn't, wasn't more uh, severe, but it could have been catastrophic. It was only through a miracle that we didn't have six or eight of our guys killed in that incident by friendly fire, by a bomb being dropped in their position, by a tank engaging them with a main gun round. Uh, and it was, it was a horrible scenario. It was the recognition of just how easily that, that that can happen. And when Jocko stood up in front of our entire task unit, even though we knew he hadn't been with the two units that actually engaged each other, 
We knew he hadn't been there at that moment when that happened. He stood up in front of our entire task and it took ownership of that to say, this was my fault and we're going to make sure nothing like this ever happens again. It enabled all of us to stand up and take ownership. And we figured out how to solve problems at every level of the team to make sure that we never let that happen again. And friendly fire still happened. I mean, we still got shot at by friendlies, but we were always able to mitigate the risk of it, to keep it from happening, to keep it from getting worse, to make sure that people didn't get wounded or killed as a result. Uh, and it had that not happened to us right away, I think it would have probably set us up for an epic disaster. Because, you know, if you go on to read the book, and there's multiple times throughout uh, in, in two different mentions of it that we give in, uh, in extreme ownership alone, where we had major incidents where we almost got in a friendly fire incident. And had we not had that thing happen to us in the first chapter, that, that incident that you talked about right away in the first you know days on the ground in Ramadi, I don't think we'd have ever let, you know, learned that lesson. So that's the same lesson that we learn you know, for, for, for teams. When, when things are going great, when they don't think bad things can happen, how can they actually contingency plan? What steps can they take you know, to uh, to actually implement, you know, the uh, solutions to prevent these worst case scenarios from actually happening. And, and what we help leaders understand is that humility piece. When I get a leader that comes to me and says, oh, things are going great, you know, we're we're doing well and, you know, we're, we're, we're hitting our numbers and 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 uh, everything's going great. Then I, I take a look at them and say, hey, OK, you need to start thinking about where it's going to go wrong. You need to start thinking about where where things are going to go south. What's the worst case scenario that can happen? What are you doing to prevent that from actually happening? How can you make sure that your team doesn't get complacent, doesn't get what in the military we call the, the disease of victory? And when everything's going great, you start starting to think you're better than you are. You start to overestimate your capability, underestimate the capability of your competition, you know, your enemy out there. And it's the same thing in the business world, same thing in, in, in government, the same thing anywhere, you know, for any team trying to do anything. Uh, they've got to constantly keep that humility and take that hard, brutally honest assessment of themselves and then take, you know, take take the, the steps necessary to mitigate the risks to prevent that from happening or it absolutely will happen. Can't think of a better way to end our first segment. And after this quick commercial break, we're going to jump into a discussion with Leif around some of the key principles of leadership. This is the Government Huddle Podcast. We'll be right back. As a social learning platform, Public Sector Network connects public sector professionals around the world to share information and learn through example from other government departments and agencies while building a strong sense of community with our members. As a B Corp accredited social enterprise, Public Sector Network helps leaders from around the globe to network, to benchmark, and to share best practices with their peers with the purpose of creating better services and outcomes for citizens. In today's world, public sector employees have increasingly challenging and complex roles and are forced to consider strategic, tactical, and operational factors, which is why we offer events, reports, white papers, interviews, and other materials from some of the most influential public sector leaders coming from around the United States, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Join the community, engage with your peers in conversation with our forums, and participate in our virtual events throughout the remainder of 2021. Take some time to explore our offerings on publicsectornetwork.co, and we'll look forward to seeing you at some of our events in the near future. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys, and I want to jump right back into it. We have with us Leif Babin, former Navy SEAL and current president at Echelon Front, and I want to take a look at some of the core leadership principles that you discuss in your book, Leif, starting with cover and move. And like most of the principles from the book, it's very militaristic sounding. Can you explain this principle to my listeners? This is 
cover and move is, is a gunfighting tactic. It's, it's really, it's the gunfighting tactic that we use. Whereas if you and I are trying to move across a street under fire in the daytime, we have an enemy fighter laying down, uh, laying down machine gun fire at us, shooting at us. How do we actually get to the other side of the street? We have to actually cover move for each other. If, you, if I go my own direction, I don't like your plan. You don't like my plan. You go in your own direction. We don't actually get across the street together. You're going to get shot, killed. I'm going to get shot, killed. So what we actually have to do is work together, mutually supporting one another. I mean, I mean to move up to a position where I can lay down suppressive fire, keep the bad guys' heads down so they can't accurately target you. And then you can move across the street. And when you get across the street, then you lay down suppressive fire to cover me as, as I move across the street to your position. And when Jocko and I started working with companies in the business world back in uh, late 2011, early 2012, uh, for, for me, I was I was – I was thinking, how does this actually apply to companies out there? As soon as we sat down and listened to leaders telling us about their problems and challenges, they started telling us, well, you know, this department's not getting the support we need from that other department over there. Our, you know, our my customers that I work with are really problematic and, you know, they just, they're too demanding and, and uh, you know, we're on a different program and they have their own agenda and we have our own agenda. And you realize, okay, we've got we've got siloed organizations that aren't working together, and they don't understand this principle of cover move. They need to they need to implement cover move so that they can work together as a team. And very simply, cover move is is just about it, it's about it, it, what it, if I had to summarize it at the highest level, it simply means it's not about you; it's about the mission. So if you put the mission first, just you know, everyone gets focused on their particular tasks, their particular challenges, their particular uh, you know, frustrations that they're dealing with. The obstacles in front of them instead of thinking about the overall mission and how you can help the overall mission be successful so if you get if you take a look at yourself and think how can i help the overall mission be successful how can i help others the opposite of cover move is that's not my job and if you're in an organization where you say you say people say like that's not my job because to an organization that wants to win and is going to win at all costs there, there is nothing that's not their job. They're going to do whatever they can to help someone else. If you're not getting what you need from another department, well, how can you help them? Maybe that other department's not trying to purposely, you know, uh, not deliver on what they need to do. Maybe they're just overwhelmed. Maybe they're understaffed. Maybe they don't have the resource they need. So if you've got a couple of extra people, you can send those bodies over there to help that department, help them solve a problem or make clear to them what you actually need, why it's that priority, and you can move to, forward together as a team, mutually supporting each other so that the team can win. I don't care who gets the credit. I just want the team to win. And if the team wins, everybody wins. And also, conversely, if the team fails, everybody fails. So if if I didn't accomplish, uh, if the team didn't win and this other department didn't accomplish the task and we fail on that project, it doesn't matter that I did my job. It has it, That doesn't matter at all. It, what I have to do is figure out a way to help that other team do their job so that we can actually all win together as a team. How you cover and move for each other is by building relationships. If I'm frustrated with you, Brian, for not giving me what I need, then what I need to do is build a better relationship with you. And if you have, if we have a good relationship, we always say relationships are stronger than the chain of command. It, it's not that I can order you to go help me if I'm your boss or you work for me in some capacity. A lot of times we worked on the battlefield, we, we, would, we would work alongside units that we didn't work for. They didn't work for us. And I couldn't order them to do things. Like, like for instance, jump in their tanks and drive down these really dangerous roads where they might get blown up to come help us. And yet every time we called them and asked for their help, they came. Why did they do that? 
Why did they put themselves at risk to come help us? Because we had a good relationship with them because I was helping them. I was, I was dedicating my resources to help and support them. When they asked for something from us, we gave it to them. We built a good relationship with them. And as a result, when we asked for something from them, they gave it to us every time. So that's what you have to do is build strong relationships with others so that you can actually work together as a team, mutually supporting one another in order to accomplish your mission and win. That's what Cover Move is all about. If I'm putting myself in your shoes, Leif, as uh, a leadership consultant, and the pandemic hits, you guys are are showing up working with companies. And as people are talking, I'm guessing in your, the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, that challenge is cover and move, or that challenge is prioritize and execute, et cetera. And we know exactly the game plan to go about it. I would have to imagine that as companies pivoted as quickly as they did, cover and move as, a, as a, something that you're seeing as a, a remedy for some of these challenges had to be uh, pretty prevalent for you guys, right? As everybody's kind of trying to solve these all, all these little challenges here and there, um, and everybody's kind of all over the place instead of like stop and looking at the broader mission. Is that true? Hundred percent true. You know, and even even your your original question here, Brian, about like well, this is kind of a military term. How does it apply? I've really kind of thought I, I forgot about it being such a military term because so many companies that we're, we're we're working with are using this term, and it's a common term that they're using within the culture of their team. And you know this underlying this underlying piece of relationships being the foundation upon which uh, Cover Move is built. That's actually what has been our that's been our guiding principle through this entire pandemic. I mean, with, with companies where you know we're working with companies, let's say in the energy sector, where they had to furlough you know a four a quarter of their workforce, um, and uh, and they were going through some some really tough times back a few months ago. Uh, our our guiding principle has been relationships are paramount. We're going to cover a move for, for our, our clients, our, our uh, the companies that we work with, our customers. And what that means for us is if a company can't, well, I'll reach out to a company, what's going on? What what challenges do you have? If that company can't pay me because they're they're having to lay off their part of their workforce, no factor. I'm going to build relationships. I'm going to think strategically. I'm going to do what I can to, to build a better relationship with them to help them succeed. I want them to be successful. We're dedicated to delivering impact to them. It's not about what benefits me right now. If you you can't cut me a check uh, right now for the work that we've done because you're in a tough situation, it's no factor. What I want I want you to do is win. I want you to get through this this challenge. I want to help you. I know that I can take these leadership principles and help you through that, uh, and that's going to pay off down the road uh, with, with building strategic relationships. And the more successful I can help your company, the more that you know you're you're going to you're going to bring an echelon front to, to help you. So that's what you have to be thinking about is thinking strategically about building those relationships. It's not about what's in the immediate gain for me. And in fact, how I build relationships is not about demanding things from you. It's actually about what I can actually offer to you to help you solve a challenge right now. And that's going to build up relationships down the road. I mean, if you think about it, when, when someone that, that, that you don't really have a good relationship with asks you for something, what do you do? Do you just jump at the chance to actually help them? Generally, no. Most people are going to say, yeah, I'm too busy right now. Or can you believe this person's even asking me for that after, after how they treated me, you know, six months ago or a year ago or whatever it was. Think about people that you actually have a good relationship with that want to reach out to you. What, what, do you. what do you, even if you're really busy and someone who's a friend of yours, you have a close relationship with within your team reaches out to you for help, what do you do? 
You're going to drop what you're doing to help them. And that's what you're trying to do is build that kind of relationship with everybody on your team, everybody that, that you work with, everybody that is critical to help you accomplish your mission and win. And so that's not just within your organization, but also to your customers, to the folks that you work alongside, to the other departments and other companies and other subcontractors you work with, you know, to support. You want to build those kind of relationships so that with people, offer them support and think strategically uh, so that that you can, you're covering so they can move and then they will cover so that you can move so the entire team wins and then everybody wins. I love that you brought up relationships, uh, especially at the onset of the pandemic. That was really the way OpenText looked at things. And it came straight from our CEO and on down is you need to reach out to your customers. And it wasn't an opportunity to say they're struggling, go sell them the things that they need to be able to to, to, to fill in the gaps that they're, they're struggling with. It was, you need to reach out to your customers. They're struggling, find out how we can help them. We need, we want to, we want to jump in, I mean, to, to steal a military term. And I actually, I don't think of this as a military term because I say it all the time. We want to jump in the foxhole with you. We want to own these challenges with you. And we want to be able to help you get out the other side. And it's not about selling things. It's about being a true partner, um, throughout the process. And I think the pandemic has really, um, brought that brought that to light more so than ever because everybody was struggling i think you're in a situation where the whole world was encountering the exact same thing um and being a partner and being and establishing a relationship it, i don't think there was ever a more important time to do that that's exactly right and look at the end of the day there's what works and there's what doesn't work uh and i think anyone who's who's been successful um, realizes that that's important. It sounds like that's exactly what you guys are doing at Open Tech. So that's that's exactly what you should be doing is thinking strategically to build strategic relationships with people so that you can cover and move for each other. So uh, the, the next core principle I want to touch on in this part, um, you actually brought up in part one a little bit as you talked about um, you're constantly working on discipline, which I think everybody is. It's It's simple, but it's not easy. And simple is that next core principle. Can you uh, can you walk us through that? This is this is something that sounds very you know people are like oh yeah keep it simple stupid you know the kiss principle yeah. that so many people are familiar with. I thought I knew what that meant. I mean it was in every military book that I got my hands on. I heard it constantly throughout my time at the Naval Academy, and it wasn't until I was really in charge of a SEAL training mission as a young junior officer as a squad leader, and I brief that plan to my team. We went out on the training battlefield. It was a total disaster. And we came back and I came back and I was really frustrated with my team. I gave them all the information they needed. Nobody did what they were supposed to do. We totally failed. That's embarrassing. Uh, and I was, I was really frustrated with my team. And thank God I had some great mentors in the SEAL teams like Jocko who said, okay, well, let's think about this for a second. Is if your team's not doing what you need them to do, you think you gave them all the information. If they're not doing what you what you told them to do, is it because they weren't listening to you? And the answer is no. Of course they were listening to me. I briefed them. They were sitting there listening. We talked about you know the details of the plan. Well, is it because – okay, so they were listening to you. That's clear. Uh, so that's not the reason. Is it because they're just incapable of doing the job? Of course not. These are very competent people. They're a highly screened organization. It, that's that wasn't the case either. Well, then then you'd say, well, is is it is it because they don't care and they just don't want to win? And of course, these are these are highly uh, competitive individuals who want to win, who want to be successful. So none of those things were the case. So if those things weren't the case, 
then the problem wasn't with the team. The problem was with me. And this is what you have to recognize, no matter how, how good you thought you communicated to someone, the real task for whether or not you've done that correctly is that they get it. It's very simple. They get it. So that's why you have to keep things simple. If the team doesn't understand the plan, if they don't understand their part of the plan, if they don't understand the goal they're trying to achieve, then they can't execute. So plans have to be simplified to a point where everybody understands them so that everybody can execute. Uh, and and that's, that may take a very complex thing because uh, look, combat missions are complex by nature. There's a lot of complexity, a lot of different elements on the battlefield, different radio networks, aircraft supporting and ground forces supporting and different maneuver elements on the ground. And of course, then you've got enemy fighters that are out there that you don't actually control. That You can kind of try to predict what they're going to do, but you can't know for certain what they're going to do. We always say the enemy gets a vote. So, so it, it's, it's complex, but you have to simplify it down so that everyone understands that. Same thing in the business world, same thing in any arena where you know, you've got a, a, different, a, a big complex project or mission that you're working on with a bunch of different pieces of moving parts. You've got to simplify that down so that everybody understands it. You have to ask people and make sure that they understand. What I should have done before we launched on the mission was test people on my team to say, okay, talk me through this aspect of the plan. I wanna make sure you understand the goal of what we're trying to accomplish. And that's not a test for them. It's a test for me to make sure that I was clear. And I know if they don't understand it, I'm not going to get angry with them. I'm going to say, okay, obviously I got to do a better job explaining this because if you don't understand, I know that probably a lot of other people on the team don't understand it and I need to explain it better. Same thing for, for communications. When you're talking about emails or text messages or, or phone calls or meetings in any capacity, personal interaction, uh, direct conversations, Orders have to be communicated in a manner that's simple, clear, and concise. And that's if, if you're not getting what you're asking for, whether it's talking to your team and they're not doing what, you're do, what you want them to do, whether it's asking for support from another department, whether it's asking for information from a customer, whether it's, it's up the chain of command, from, uh, you're asking for more resources or training or for greater guidance on a particular strategy or project that you're implementing. If you're not getting what you're asking for, don't get frustrated with the other person what you need to do is look at yourself first and think, okay, have I been simple, clear, and concise in my communication? And if you're not getting what you need, it, it's almost certainly the fact is that you you haven't actually communicated in, in a manner that's simple, clear, concise. I mean, one leader I was just working with is an example of this, who was asking five you know key leaders on the team to to accomplish a task. Four of the five key leaders weren't doing it, and so she was very frustrated with the fact that uh, that these leaders weren't doing what she needed them to do. And so I had to, I had to push back and say, okay, well, let's think about this. Are they not doing it because they don't care? Are they not doing it because they don't want to win? Are they not doing it because they don't think it's important? If four of five people aren't doing what you ask them to do, who's the problem with? The problem is you. So let, maybe you weren't quite as clear in that email that you sent with the you know nine different links on what they needed to do and the different videos they need to watch. Maybe you need to simplify that video and you put one link in there that makes it very clear about what they need to do, follow it with phone calls, discuss with them, walk them through the process. That's how you get those things done. And we see leaders that are like, well, I shouldn't have to do that. Well, look, you, you shouldn't have to look both ways at a stoplight either, you know, once the light turns green to make sure that you don't have somebody to run in the red light. But if you don't do that, at some point in your life, you might get T-boned by someone running the red light. So that's just the reality of it. And uh, you have to do what's required in order to make the team successful. So it, it's, it's 
this, the task of whether or not you, you have communicated in a manner that's simple, clear, and concise is that they get it. So don't get frustrated with others. Look at yourself first. It makes so much sense. And it's one of the things that I've, kind of, as I've read more books, um, or to be more truthful, listen to more books on Audible, the, the things that I learned, I find are actually so simple, so innate. Um, it's just, I needed somebody to point them out for me. Um, because once you hear it, you're like, yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, but then it becomes the tactical ability to implement it. How do you how do you take a lot of these core principles and and make sure tactically um, a culture is ready to be able to 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 implement these successfully on behalf of their mission? Well, just take the principle of, uh, of simple. For instance, when you have a a, a company that's puts together the, you know their what their what's what is their mission statement and they have their mantras and they put their you know their they their their uh, these like five, you know, driving uh, core principles that we're going to put together that that uh, they craft that mission, and they spend a lot of time, you know, at, at the in the big conference room, the corporate headquarters, putting that together, and then you walk out and talk to their individual contributors or some of their frontline leaders or a mid-level manager and ask them, okay, what's your mission? Do you understand that? How does that apply to you? And there's no understanding of that. There's no understanding whatsoever. So it's clear. That, that you know, if if the frontline troops executing don't understand the mission, uh, and don't get all the all that work that's being done, they can't actually execute. So, that's that is how you have to simplify that down so that people get and understand it. And I think you know, anytime that we see teams struggling in any situation, it's because they're violating one or more of those principles that we wrote about: the laws of combat, cover, move, simple, prioritize, and execute, decentralized command. If, if a team is struggling, if a team is not performing uh, to to their uh, standard, if they're failing to accomplish their mission, is because they're violating one or more of those principles. And so, taking those principles and understanding, you know, getting building that into the, in the into the culture of their team and helping them understand how to apply it is the answer to solve their problems. They can move, they can work together as a team and move forward to accomplish their strategic goals. Leif, thanks so much for joining us today. This has been a lot of fun to have this conversation, honestly, and I think it's really needed across organizations, again, in the private and public sector. So appreciate the time today. And for everybody listening, appreciate you joining. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com on Apple Podcasts or wherever you access your podcasts. Appreciate you listening, guys. Bye for now.